She's written a book about Emily Dickinson and has created an active campaign to bring 21st century relevance to a university degree in literature. I'm UT Tyler Radio News Director Mike Landis, and I'm talking about Dr. Ann Beebe, who has now branched out with her own podcast titled Averse Reaction. How's it going so far? It's going great, and I need to thank KVUT for the title because I was stuck, and you guys brainstormed a bunch of different options, and I loved that. I love Averse Reaction. Well, we, we love uh, working with you, and there's no question about that. I understand the first series that you've done deals with poetry from everyone, including Emily Dickinson, to Langston Hughes. Tell us more. Of course. I had to have Emily Dickinson. I, I wanted—well, you say first series, and, and um, I hope it's the first series. I hope there's a series two, series three. Uh, but if this was my only shot, I wanted to make it as representative as possible. So uh, the uh, eight episodes that deal with individual poets— uh, run from 1650 to Mary Oliver, the last poet who died in 2019, uh, and poets uh, that represent uh, American literature and many different um, uh, different threads of American literature. I wanted to be as representative as possible. And so, of course, I had to have Emily Dickinson, Anne Bradstreet, already mentioned Mary Oliver, Langston Hughes, Robert Frost, and Robert Lowell, uh, Phyllis Wheatley, and Lucille Clifton are the eight poets in series one. And, and exactly how do you write? Are you reading from their work or are you talking about their story? How does it work? A little exactly? of everything. Okay. Um, so each episode has three parts. Uh, part one, and it's not that the podcast is not intended necessarily for um, students of literature, people who have any background in poetry. It's just people who are looking for a good podcast to listen to. I love podcasts. so just want a podcast to listen to. It's not, the podcast is not a rep- uh, replacement for a university class. So it's very much a podcast, uh, and it's in three parts. And the first part just grounds the uh, listener in uh, that particular poet with a little biography and in that particular poet's work. What was so important about it? What was so distinctive about that particular poetic voice? Part two uh, is um, uh, devoted to an interview with a special guest, because I very much believe that um, uh, when we read poetry, uh, we read it first for enjoyment, just the wow factor, love it. Um, But if we're going to analyze it and if we're going to ask smart questions of it, we need to have some sort of foundation, some sort of grounding. And so for a different poem, Uh, there are different contexts that are particularly appropriate. So I picked four poems that then in part three that I read and uh, talk about, and hopefully from that context. But I picked, uh, asked experts here from UT Tyler to come in and answer some questions about a particular context. So for Emily Dickinson, 1,800 poets, hundreds of contexts um, that I could approach the poems. I asked um, uh, Dr. Matt Stith from the History Department to talk to me, answer some questions about the Civil War home front, because I picked four poems from 1863 that I think are very representative uh, or could be could be richly read from that background. So, um, yes, each episode does have a little background, does have um, uh, work with four particular poems, but part two is, uh, I think, some really great interviews with eight faculty members here at UT Tyler talking about their area of expertise. Well, now, now one of these experts that you talk to uh, is Dr. Sarah Roberts, mm-hmm. who's done an amazing job as an interim working in the, the music department. Uh, what what was the author that you worked with with her? How did that work? That's episode six and Langston Hughes. And again, with Langston Hughes, with his body of work, there are so many different contexts that you could um, uh, bring an informed reading of the text. But 
uh, I focused on some of his earlier works, and particular works that are definitively influenced by jazz music, both in terms of the tempo, the pace, uh, but also the characters uh, and the feel of the poems. And so before I started as a, as a literary scholar, going to the poems and making claims about how jazz influenced those poems, I wanted to talk to a jazz expert. So Dr. Sarah Roberts, and I thought she did a fabulous job, um, answered some questions about jazz, uh, about the history of it, about um, its its influence in the United States. Uh, and then from that knowledge, we then turned to four poems of um, uh, Langston Hughes and read them through that lens of, of, of jazz music. She is quite remarkable. She does a jazz camp for students here in the Tyler area, well, actually throughout East Texas, uh, mm-hmm. they, they come. And she's an incredible musician all her own, mm-hmm. uh, saxophonist. And uh, I was also interested in Dr. Sarah Roberts uh, from the standpoint that she she brings that history of the, of the music. And did she give you any insights, perhaps, that you didn't have before oh, the yes. interview? Um, so, of course, I've read Langston Hughes poetry. I've taught classes on Langston Hughes and the Harlem Renaissance, but I am not myself a jazz musician. Um, and while I've, um, is it the, the PBS special on jazz, right? That, that's multi-part. I watched that, um, uh, years ago, but I'm not a specialist. And so uh, I wanted very much to have, a, someone very specifically before I turn to those um, poems by Langston Hughes, very specifically give a background, give a sense of, uh, exaster specifically about the, how lyrics, right? Um, mm-hmm. the jazz music, we sort of tend to have more of an, a, an image of it being instrumental, but how it might impact the creation of lyrics, poetry. Yeah. And, and so, well, um, Sarah Vaughn and, and so many, uh, amazing artists and their, uh, the writing and the performance of those. Right. And, and so I thought she did, and it's, it's, um, uh, each of the interviews are, are 10 to 15 minutes, and I sent all of our experts four questions uh, before, um, a month before. Uh, I asked them to sit down so they had plenty of time to think about what they were going to say. And so they all came very prepared, very clear answers, and they knew what poet um, their their interview was being used to contextualize um, particular poems. And so I, I thought they, they just all, Sarah Roberts and everyone, did a fabulous job. Um I sought some insight from the gospel according to Google as it has to do with poetry. This is what I came up with. Poetry is a form of creative writing that exists in cultures around the world. It's important to the literary and cultural landscape of humanity and can be a powerful teaching tool, helping students improve their literacy. How'd Google do? Is that close? Uh, Good. Uh, but it sort of seems sort of dry and, and emotionless. I mean, that's... that's but that's Google. <laughs> that, and I love some Google. But yes. um, in terms of, of the podcast and why create it, why create a poetry podcast very specifically, I have found teaching poetry for many, many years that um, students sort of almost now come to the class, even English majors, with a, a fear of, they're intimidated by poetry, and I don't think they should be. I think it... it when done well, there's just so much bad poetry out there. But when poetry is done well, it can and should be the most approachable, the most um, emotional and intimate um, reading experience. So I wanted, um, I created this podcast for students to try and um, hopefully, if high schoolers are listening to this before they get to college, they gain a little bit more confidence in their ability to read and discuss poetry. But just for the general everyday person, Poetry is just simply, I think, necessary 
for human existence, necessary for the enjoyment of human existence. And in episode one, I talk about some of the medical and psychological studies that have been done that talk about how poetry enriches our lives, um, can reduce stress, most certainly um, helps with mental acuity, uh, helps with vocabulary. It's just such a an approachable, when done well, such an approachable genre, and it can enrich lives so much. So, Episode one is is called "Who Gave You a Podcast?" Um, well, <laughs> pretty much that the dean said we have a podcast studio and, and you can sign up for exactly, it. Exactly, and we were glad to have you. And I said I want to do a poetry one because I think I mean it's somewhat simple, but I just simply think the world would be a better place if people read poetry more often, good poetry more often. Yeah. Let, let me let me throw a wild card into this. Oh dear, much. <laughs> Hold on. Buckle your seatbelt. Uh, the, the thing, and put your tray tail, uh, table up and unlock it in the lock position. Uh, the thing I'm, I'm thinking about are, are rock poets. I was thinking, I saw an interview with Bob Dylan just recently, mm-hmm. and he was talking about in his early days where this stuff was just pouring out of him, all of these these songs and, and the, the subjects that he took on. And, and some of them were, you know, a little crazy, and then some of them were amazingly right on the money. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if we will look back on someone like that from the 1960s and 70s and 80s uh, and and say, wow, what a, a remarkable guy. Will it be strictly within the, the, the venue of music? Or will that be, is there such a thing as rock poetry? Yes, yes. Um, again, there are good poems, bad poems. There are good sure. songs and bad songs, sure. right? And one of the things that takes a, st- a song out and makes it great would be the lyrics, mm-hmm. the quality of the lyrics. Right. And and when I say poetry is the genre that can be the most intimate, that means that, that can connect with and share an idea and emotion and experience with the reader, songs with the listener, right? right? And so, yes, most certainly um, there there can be and, and there will continue to be um, uh, classes and, and um, studies that very specifically look at the lyrics of songs and analyze them as you would a poem songwriters overall, most certainly I think we can and should um, read the great runs, read the great lyrics with awareness of context. And that might sometimes be be biography, be um, time period, as I said, but generational, right? Uh, Might be some a reaction to some uh, event um, of the time period. Reading and, and not necessarily, you know, because we all want to become literary scholars, although, again, I think the world would be a better place if, if we were all trained in, in literary scholarship, but because it simply makes the experience of understanding and working with that um, particular poem or lyrics makes that experience so much richer because you're experiencing it and understanding it on multiple levels as opposed to the first initial um, emotional reaction, which is of itself valuable. But we can get so much more from good, great poetry, good, great songs, if we are willing to put the work in and actually ask good, smart, informed questions of the text. Mm. Mm. Now, I use the word relevance in the introduction to our conversation. You've made it a a personal and professional mission to (laughs) reestablish that perception and potential applications in the minds of students and even potential employers down the road. How is that going? What kind of response have you gotten to that? I'm thinking about the way in which you've used social media, like LinkedIn, and you 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 put a number of articles, some written by other people, mm-hmm. some by you specifically, saying this is why this is important. This is why this is the application, the practical application of what we're talking about here. How's that going? 
I hope it's going well. I mean, I'm going to continue doing it. And no one's told me to stop. Uh, and no one, I haven't been trolled by anyone on social media, uh, LinkedIn, uh, saying, why do you post these things? These things are all wrong. No, no, they're not. Um, but the, the, the value of training your mind to think critically, to look closely at the written word, and to see how that's applicable to any career, law, medicine, business, anything, because that is how we communicate as humans. We communicate with words. Sometimes those words are spoken. Sometimes those words are written down. And so it, to have people who are trained in actually understanding human communication, the, the how we put words together, what they mean, what they don't mean too, is, is equally important, um, is, is, is invaluable for someone who's going into the legal field, for someone who's going into medicine. Uh, my goodness, we, we, communication uh, in medicine is so important for someone who's going into any area of business. Uh, it, it's it's, and that is why for so many years, when you said someone got a college degree, what they got was a classical degree. They got a classical liberal arts degree, and that is what trained them and gave them the adaptability of mind and flexibility in order to then go out and venture into all these fields and create all these wonderful things. For hundreds of years, that was university education. But pulling away from that and, and, and not getting the, the firm foundation in the, the liberal arts, at, at the, it, worse, what it does is it limits the marketable skills of every single person. So why, why are liberal arts so important? Why is the core uh, at, at the university is so important because it gives you those critical thinking skills and it trains your mind to actually be able to look, notice, ask questions, and then articulate your ideas, in my opinion. Give us a little sample of what we might find if we listen to a verse reaction. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, well, in uh, I brought with me uh, Mary Oliver's collection. I'm holding it, waving it, hoping he would take the cue and let me read a poem. <laughs> I can uh, take a cue. <laughs> so uh, in that last episode, we had the wonderful Jess Coleman in to answer some questions uh, about birds, because I picked four poems um, from her collection, uh, all titled after birds. And so you could just say, okay, birds in general, okay, the title of it is swan, whatever. So no, no, no. If you think about swans more specifically, and you think about their size, you think about their beauty, you think about um, their their sometimes aggressiveness, protectiveness, um, and you think about how symbolically they've been important in literature, in um, uh, ballet, in, in, in Western and Eastern culture. There's a reason why that this t particular poem I'm about to read is given the title Swan. And that's one as we read the poem and just appreciate the poem. But then we want to debate it. We start looking more closely. Okay, what is it about the swan that, and everything that we know about a swan, that engendered these thoughts, this, this theme? So, this is Swan by Mary Oliver. Did you too see it drifting all night on the Black River? Did you see it in the morning, rising into the silvery air, an arm full of white blossoms? A perfect commotion of silk and linen as it leaned into the bondage of its wings? A snowbank, a bank of lilies, biting the air with its black beak? Did you hear it fluting and whistling a shrill dark whistle, like the rain pelting the trees, like a waterfall knifing down the black ledges? And did you see it finally just under the clouds, a white cross streaming across the sky, its feet like black leaves, its wings like the stretching light of the river? And did you feel it in your heart how it pertained to everything, and have you too finally figured out 
what beauty is for, and have you changed your life? And that's Swan by Mary That Oliver. is lovely. I, th- the first thing that comes to mind for me about swans is that they mate for life. Mm-hmm. That is a that is a that's a tough one in our society these days. We we, we mate for for five six seven years and then we go off and move somewhere else. It seems as though I mean statistically that happens. That uh, there's a lovely 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 poem. And it's a poem questioning. And yes. it's a poem. Um, you look yeah, at swans. Qu- you see, yes. yeah, you, you see its beauty. You you have a everyone has a sort of a pulp culture. You know, you, you know what a swan is. Sure, but you stop and think about a swan and why. Looking at a swan, would it engender these sort of large existential questions about life right. and their applicability to you, the speaker, you, the listener of this poem? And that's really the purpose of a verse. Yes, reaction. Yes, I I, I agree completely, and and. Again, now I'm not saying we should do this all the time, and that's all we should do, read poetry, but the world would be a better place, in my opinion, if people would stop every now and again from the rush of their lives, from the demands of of everything, from all the noise coming from um, uh, the pop culture world and everything, and that's wonderful, and there's so many wonderful things going on in that world, but every now and again, just stop to pause and read a poem and maybe this poem didn't do it for you, but there are millions of good poems out there. There's a poet out there for you. There are poems out there for you that will just make you stop, reset, and think more clearly about who you are and what it is you want to achieve in this world. Thanks for listening as UT Tyler Radio connects with Dr. Ann Beebe. To share, listen again, or for a transcript of this interview, visit our website, uttyleradio.org. To be notified about future episodes, subscribe to UT Tyler Radio Connects on your favorite podcast platform. For UT Tyler Radio News, I'm Mike Landis.